Hello, my father. <laughs> Hi, Ernie. How are you, man? Doing good. It's been a busy morning. I had a, yeah, looks like. <laughs> well, I had like yeah. a dream at like 3 a.m. And so, uh, okay. you know, it took me a while to get to back to sleep. And so I slept in and that sort of pushed the rest of the day back. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we, my son have doesn't very, have. Yeah. We have a very busy Sorry? day also going from one to another. Um, from this, we are going to go across the street. Um, you know, the Interact Club that uh, built the bridge. Oh, yeah. Here. The Rotary um, Junior. Yeah, yeah. The high school the Rotary. Well, the current president is going to be uh, the girl living across from us. Parents are oh, wow. Parents. So uh, their board is meeting there. So I'm going there at 12.15 to uh, do a PowerPoint presentation on Rotary. And then I leave at 12.45 and go to see my doctor, cardiologist. <laughs> wow. So let's go. Oh, I think let's go. go and he's probably going to tell you, do. stop scheduling so many things to reduce stress on your heart. <laughs> uh, this is good kind of stress. There are, there are two kinds of stress, right? <laughs> ah, that's Wonder. interesting. I was just I was thinking about that this morning, the difference between, yeah. and this is probably a good segue into Rockefeller. Yeah. Um, Someone was complaining about the stress, and I was thinking mm. that, well, I don't know if the goal is to get rid of stress, but to replace bad stress with good stress. Yeah, give and me some I'm curious how you stress. define those. Yeah, give me some good examples of good stress. Well, you're the one who brought it up. I was hoping you would. <laughs> <laughs> but you're agreeing with me. <laughs> well, yes, but uh, okay. So, so, so good stress is, I think about. Uh, running a marathon, like running a marathon yeah. is painful <laughs> and difficult and challenging and, you know, can cause some damage to you. But okay. uh, what makes it good stress is, A, it's chosen. I go mm -hmm. into it knowing that it's a difficult thing, so I have a sense of yeah. agency and enrollment. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly is that I have, uh, is that I'm set up for success. Right. I know what it takes to succeed. I know that I've put in the work. And, of course, I haven't run a marathon, but I've run a half marathon. Right. Um, and uh, then the, the third thing is that there's a clear finish line. I know right. that, you know, one way or the other, uh, you know, I will be done in – you know, if all goes well, I'll be done in like I'll be done in twenty six point two miles. Hmm. Or I will obviously fail, and hmm. you know, if I you know tear a ligament or you know whatever, and I break yeah. down, at least it'll be it'll be a clear because the thing that causes unhealthy stress for me is that I feel like I wasn't expecting this. I'm mm -hmm. not prepared for this, and I have mm -hmm. no clue how or when it will end. Right. Okay, anyway. so uh, what, what, I, what I was thinking was a project that you take on or a um, speech you're going to give or a PowerPoint presentation you're going to make, there's a stress uh -huh. because you have to prepare. Like you said, same, similar to your marathon, you know ahead of time, so then you prepare for it, and there is a little pleasure in preparing for it. Uh, you're going through... Uh, you do research or, uh, or you ask people, whatever it is. And, but the 
I think what makes it a good stress is at the end of it, you feel good and you make other people feel good. So that's well, how right. I probably would describe it. Whereas on, on the, the other hand, hand yeah. Keep right. going. No, you were going to say something. No, is the, well, I want to hear your other hand first and then I'll say mine. On the other hand, yeah, like the bad stress is, uh, like you said, something comes suddenly and uh, unexpectedly. You're unprepared. And also, something you don't want to do, <laughs> you have to do. There's a lot of stress. Sometimes, you know, we have yeah. some guests in the house. There's a lot of stress on you. Um, you have a lot of responsibility and uh, you have to take care of them. And so you worry about that, and that becomes bad stress. Um, at the same time, um, I was also thinking about good stress. Uh, in some ways, getting married, <laughs> good stress. <laughs> Especially the, getting uh, married is good know. stress. Being married is bad stress. No, no, that's not the way it works. Uh, but, uh, but you know, there was a lot of stress in, in marriage, right? I mean, especially in our context, where it was an arranged marriage, and, uh, and a lot of you know, we were both naive and. A lot of right. <laughs> there. On the flip side, you had the advantage back. of knowing, you know, because you know, Sunday and I had a more or less a contrived marriage, and I think that one of the biggest assets we had, mm -hmm. or at least I had, is I knew that I had no idea what I was getting into. Right. Yeah. You know, and yeah. <laughs> the, the the thought that um, mm -hmm. I was thinking about this. One way to summarize all this is that you have an insecure role is what right. causes stress because you can be in the exact same circumstances but mm. if you feel secure yeah like you know at this stage when you're giving a presentation for a rotary group like you'll probably be fine and if it's not it's no big deal but if you're like right. applying for a job or this yeah. is the first time you're presenting somewhere and you know that like like i don't know did you feel any insecurity the very first time you got up and spoke at a rotary meeting or was it all no, after by the time then? you know by the rotary meeting by the time we had done a lot of church related things right so yeah the first the, time you issue. yeah mm. yeah and and i think i started preaching when i was like 13 yeah yeah right 13 or 8 or 9 or something like and, that. And so i started preaching when i was 13 nine. and because of that like if i did a bad job no one would like hold it against me because i was just 13 right <laughs> like there's an enormous value in failing when you are young yeah. And so where if you succeed, it's remarkable, but if you fail, it's not shameful. Because it's not like this is my job, right? Whereas... Yeah, so but even in your job, uh, even in your job, Ernie, like in the surgery, the way they train you in the United States is by teaching you little by little. They don't make you do the open heart surgery the first day, right? They make you put a couple right. of stitches uh, in, the, in the end. It, and you put a couple of stitches, and then they, you put 10 stitches, then you close. So gradually they increase the responsibility. Like you said, uh, the first two stitches were not perfect. They take it out and put it in. So no big deal. Right. <laughs> so, because uh, like your you role said, is that of a learner, as opposed yeah. to, and, and this is like, so I think this, this is the, and this is good, this is a good segue into Rockefeller. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah we better uh, talk about Rockefeller. Right, because yeah. like we're the, the session we're doing in is um, let me call this his coming of age. Chapter okay. three in Titan, the book Titan by uh, Ron Chernow. Uh, 
right? Because yeah. there's two narrative threads I see happening. One okay. is he, you know, gets a job. And it starts with him getting his first real job. It ends with mm-hmm. him founding his own business. Right. Well, there, okay. that, and yeah. And it just like he goes with, you know, partnership with another guy to trade on his own rather than being an accountant for somebody else. He just does little trades on the side. Right. Yeah, his uh, but first then the job other was like a bookkeeper, right? First job was like right. a bookkeeper. So nominally he was hired as a bookkeeper. They quickly realized he was like obsessive and meticulous about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, the second thing thread is also where his father becomes a bigamist, <laughs> right? right. Yeah, up a second yeah, family, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, there's this connection between his father decoupling and Rockefeller sort of becoming the man of the family. It's not necessarily right. directly, but it's definitely a subtext yeah. there. Oh, yeah. uh, and yeah. then the third theme, uh, and then I'll uh, let you talk, is, is that uh, the author goes to great pains to point out that his religious faith and his charitable giving were intrinsic to his, or, or at least uh, was deeply entwined with his financial obsession. Yes. You know, how he was the guy who raised money to save the church from foreclosure. And right. you know, yeah, quickly established thing, himself see? as the second most powerful. And you can't help but wonder, or I can't help but wonder if like this obsession, this drive to like, Oh goodness! Our, 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 this entity is in trouble. The person in charge isn't able to save it. I'm the one who has to step up and yeah. make everything come out right. Applies to both his family and his church, <laughs> and later on his business. But but the thing is, yeah, when people accuse him that you know he was doing these things uh, with ulterior motives, they're not correct. Because that's what I surprised me, because from the beginning. Like you said, he felt that God has called him to do this. And like you said, when he was saving the church, uh, he, he was not rich. He, yeah. he stood at the door and asked people to donate money, right? Yeah, and put in his own money to, to, to seed it, yes. Yeah, but not that much. Yeah. I mean, he put his money where his mouth is. And then he put his mouth where his money was by, you know, asking people to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think the thing that's fascinating about uh, uh, about Rockefeller, it's true he didn't have an ulterior motive, but I right. think he did have interior motive. What do you he mean? He said by he that? was doing it all. He, was, he said he was doing it all for the glory of God, right? And yeah. that was true. He was also mm-hmm. doing it to compensate for, you know, the, the, the emotional pain of his childhood, you know, I don't and know he was also that. doing, okay, so that's, okay, that's interesting, mm. I mean, because I think yeah. the, okay, mm. so good, we have, a, we have some tension here we can explore finally, through finally this theory. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Go ahead, finish your, there you okay. Well, that was the point, I know, I'm just identifying that tension there, uh, mm. is, is sort of the question, is, um, how much of his business success is intertwined with his emotional pain? Okay, I looked at it a little differently. Uh, I, I, I thought even his business success, he felt God wanted him to succeed uh, so that he can help other people, not necessarily so ease his own pain. 
you are saying that he he was doing it to ease his own childhood pain so let me ask the question right is that why okay. do you think he was so obsessed with hmm. but he was well, obsessed with money i think that's a safe statement yeah 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 no, he was okay and the question is yeah. why there was definitely not i know they called the data greed but it's not really greed because no it's uh, not or uh, uh, using it to uh for his pleasure it was not Even right it wasn't selfishness and, or greed yeah, yeah it wasn't yeah it wasn't the yeah he didn't pursue money because he wanted all the status that came with it right he was very reclusive about that he didn't yeah. pursue money cuz he was a hoarder or a miser that just wanted to keep money he loved giving money away from right. a very early age right, right and right, yet right. i think it's safe to say he was obsessed with money definitely well yeah he was you know uh he liked well, i don't know what money it. it may be business earning maybe well it's it business it's not just business i mean so that's a good, that's a fair question right hmm. the um the the thing that i remember about him uh i i think he was fascinated by business and he loved business mm. you know i don't disagree with that but i think the thing you know the reason he went into business rather than say politics or even religion mm. right is because like the, he uh had this uh, obsessive attention to detail about money he would worry about every penny everything he was like meticulous in keeping track of these things and it reminds mm-hmm. me of when i was a management consultant uh mm-hmm. you know after being a physicist and i was around mm-hmm. all these business people and yeah. it just got really hollow after a while because i said you know all these people right. they mm-hmm. they you know the the goals of the of the business is to make money for our clients and we keep you we we keep track of success by how much money we make and for right. fun people talk about how much money they spend for intellectual right. challenge they talk about how they invest money and it's like all mm. about money and to a scientist money is like toilet paper <laughs> it's bad if you don't have it but it's kind of sick to spend all your time thinking about it <laughs> yeah right and no, but, and, no. and, yeah. and that's the yeah. thing is that like like i'm not saying it's not useful but i'm saying it is a bit obsessive of him the way they see focuses so much on it and i'm not saying that by itself it is sinful but it's still noteworthy okay now you want my take on it sure yeah uh this is not good because this is going to be recorded and <laughs> going to go all over the world <laughs> worldwide web but i can <laughs> identify myself with that what you are talking about because i pursued my career i pursued my profession of surgery i love surgery i love operating i didn't do it for money you know oh, yeah I, i can honestly say that i can honestly <laughs> say it's probably so probably a source of stress in your marriage that you were not that concerned about the money <laughs> no not really but no i'm i'm saying no it's not that i was not concerned about money but the primary mm. uh of objective was to excel in what i was doing the money was secondary and money yeah. came but yeah 
in some ways, I am also obsessed with money. Like I told you that I go to the cheapest gas station five miles away because it's five times <laughs> cheaper per gallon, right? And then, you know, Interesting. Uh, I, I check on my investments and uh, um, the late, I have three major investments uh, companies I deal with, and one of them was not performing right. So I really went after them. I kept telling them, you know, you, uh, if you guys don't shape up, I'm going to switch all your money to somebody else. Uh, so I was obsessed about money there. So he probably thinks this guy really is obsessed about money <laughs> because uh, he said, I was doing everything. Then I went over his uh, record. I, you know, nowadays everything is on- online, right? I told him, yeah. yeah, you said, but the last 12 months, uh, you didn't do anything with this account. You didn't buy anything. You didn't sell anything. The only time you sold anything was to get your management fee. He was surprised that I was, I went and checked what dates he sold it, what dates, and then there was a previous guy before that who sold when uh, the uh, stock market was at the lowest that year. <laughs> he sold low and bought high. Yes, exactly. Opposite. So, so, so the guy who did him. nothing was clear. So the guy who was did nothing was clearly ahead of the, ahead of the curve. <laughs> So so then we took all the money from him, put it to the new guy. <laughs> yeah. The new guy is doing yeah. the same thing. So, so, but am I obsessed about money? Yeah, some I don't I know. Am. I mean, the, yeah, so, so, there's, so there's two it's things. Like I can call it stewardship. <laughs> well, the, the, this is the thing. Like, what is, and there's, there's this, con- and so this is the thing, right, is that I think a stewardship is a great word to anchor on mm. because I mm. think, Rockefeller saw himself as a steward. Yeah. Stewardship, yeah. Right? He had certain gifts and abilities, and he did that. Mm. And mm. Th- there is lots of evidence that that is true. Mm. Right? Yeah. On the because other at hand. This point, at this point in the story, we don't know all the other things that happened. Right now, he's just started starting his uh, partnership with another guy, starting his own business, right? He's not successful right? yet. Right. So, right. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing that, you know, uh, and like the rest of his life is consistent with this narrative of him seeing himself as a steward. Right. We know how yeah. that story yeah. ends with all the foundations yeah. and you're Chicago, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Right. So but the other narrative of Rockefeller, Rockefeller mm. Mm. is his enemies saw him as ruthless. Right. Right. Um, right. You know, so there's there's lots of things that are negative and nasty and you know jealous or whatever. But I think the it is there is ample evidence that when it came to achieving business success success that Rockefeller was ruthless. Like he saw that okay, this was the thing that needed to be done to rationalize this market. Yeah. And this is the steps to take and the fact that people didn't want this or they were they felt coerced or manipulated or whatever this did not either it did not occur to him or it did not bother him or he compartmentalized that memory away and i think there's also there's also a fourth possibility. You finish what you're saying. I'll give you the fourth possibility. No, okay. and this is what I mean by the, the evidence that he was reading. Well, 
the other the fourth possibility is uh, he was not and they can they perceived it as useless you can later on we look at that in some other cases let's say he goes and uh, uh, buys out one of the oil wells okay uh-huh. by the time his standard oil is a big company and he'll offer them you want to take cash or you want to take stock in my company uh-huh. and they prefer cash so they take yeah. cash but then within right. a couple of years the stock doubles so they <laughs> taken the stock they were done. so they come back right. and say you cheated us you didn't you didn't you didn't do you know you took our money uh, you cheated us so i think he, he he will say no i didn't i gave you the choice you made the choice and now you cannot come back and say no you 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 took it because you you paid very little money for me because my business was worth double the amount so that so that was the fourth possibility too Sorry, sorry. I, I'm not sure how that story disproves my point. Oh. Is that like it's not that he was malicious, but like mm. you know, if you wanted to convince me that he wasn't ruthless, you would say, well, you know, in that, in that case, he said, okay, I'm saying you didn't have enough information to make a good decision, mm. and you felt manipulated by the circumstances. Let me, you know, try to do something to ease your pain. Like there is there's no evidence <laughs> there that he felt their pain or was aware of their pain. When the man he may have been ruthlessly but, but like but, 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 right but, but like I say there's abundant evidence that he was ruthless in his business dealings. And again I'm not, not saying he was immoral. No not all of them. I'm not saying no. that like he only acted that way but I'm saying the narrative that his enemies have that he was ruthless he lacked rue he did not seem to care or feel about the pain his actions caused others as long as he could justify it in pursuit of this good uh and that this good seemed worthy of that and again i don't like i said i don't think this is immoral but i could make a case that it was amoral Yeah, and you're right. And we talked about that before. Something could be more not immoral, not illegal, but not the right thing to do. But right. he also and brought in some of the uh, people into his organization whom who complained about this and stuff like that. He brought them into his organization. So we'll talk about right. that and, when and, that comes up. But but, but but what I agree was that he was not at all malicious hmm. or petty. Yeah. He was absolutely yeah. ruthlessly pragmatic. <laughs> right that mm-hmm. is my that is the and these this um this 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 tension between these two narratives of you know stewardship and ruthlessness is interesting to me for a couple of reasons one mm-hmm. is that he said he was doing this all or we said maybe I don't know if he ever said this or thought this that everything he was doing was for the glory of god mm. right and yeah Uh you know it's funny I had this conversation with my friend Robbie on my other podcast about mm. um you know God the Father often calls us to oppose evil with lesser evils mm. uh you know that you know defighting wars and you know depopulating Kenya and you know things yeah. like that mm. um but that is not what I would consider Christ like mm. right Christ like is sacrificing yourself to uh redeem your enemy. And yeah. in some sense you can make a case that the the god that 
Rockefeller thought to glorify was compartmentalized. Mm. Right? And I'm not even saying that that was evil. I'm saying that mm. it was very human because that is how we tend to function in this world. And, you know, like, you know, if he had, you know, given the brutal reality of the marketplace back then, mm. where there were very few norms, uh, lots of prejudices, lots of hypocrisy, whatever, that a more scrupulous individual would have been far less successful and millions of people would have lacked, you know, cheap, uh, uh, ubiquitous kerosene for all the major learning. So, like, you can make a case, and I would make the case, that mm. Rockefeller engaged in many lesser evils in pursuit of a greater good. That's and part of the story. That's part of the story. I, I understand. But, but, but my point is, and I'll, I'll stop here, is that this compartmentalization mm. is what I'm arguing was the legitimate critique his, his enemies and detractors and opponents failed. Now, they were, it's not that his opponents were necessarily any more virtuous. Right. They may have been merely less competent. So I'm not saying right. that yeah. they were better men than he was by any stretch of the imagination. There's, there's no right. evidence that I'm aware of that he took advantage of someone who was well-meaning and trying to do the, 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 the right thing. He, if anything, he took advantage of their fear and cowardice and greed and short-sightedness. <laughs> right? I, I can make a case that he only took advantage of people who kind of deserved it. Um, okay. I'm not sure I'll stand by that, but I could one could make a case like that. But regardless, if the goal is to glorify Christ rather than just you know the Old Testament God the Father, then you can it is legitimate to 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 grieve the fact that in his business dealings we don't see Christ. And even in his own heart and his own life, um, Christianity did him an enormous amount of good. Religion did him an enormous amount of good. He did an enormous amount of good for Christianity and religion. But the thing that I look at and see in this chapter with the whole devastation of his father, literally living a compartmentalized life where he had one wife in New York and one wife in Ohio, right? Yeah, Is yeah. that this created this, uh, and, you know, we talked about in the intro how when he reminisced about his father, he, you know, he would not brook any uh, suggestions. His father was bad, yeah. Right, and, and we haven't even touched upon the whole medical angle of this, where his father made yeah. his living as a medical huckster. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> yeah, catching him off not just as a doctor, but as two different doctors. Yeah. You know, one with his real name in Illinois, one with a fake name in New York where he married his other wife. Yeah, and this is... Hello? Yeah, sorry, you still there? Yeah, yeah. I heard of Yeah, so this is kind of the idea that gets into my poem this morning as well, that compartmentalization is essential for us to function, but it's also the thing that becomes the barrier to Christ. And I very much see that, you know, mm -hmm here in this chapter with both his, you know, you know, his father, um, where he built a house for the family, 
And uh, the father sort of says he's going to do it, but he makes Rockefeller do all the work. Right. Which is, you know, he's like, what, 13 or 16 at the time? I don't know exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, And so maybe it wasn't that unusual back then for a 15-year-old to have that responsibility. But it was definitely, um, you know, both in some ways it was a great thing that happened to him. He gave him all the responsibility and all this um, uh, experience and skills and connections. And it's wonderful that way. But there was also a sense in which it felt like this was uh, his father uh, trying to absolve himself of his first family. And I can't imagine that his father detaching himself in this way didn't leave a deep emotional mark on Rockefeller. You know, on top of everything else that had happened. Yeah, I'm sure it did, but um, I thought he rose above that because you have to admit, Ernie, that he was at the right place, the right time for the right people and things like that because when he went into this business, nobody could have predicted that oil would be such a important thing. Uh, and, and, sorry, we're, not yet the oil, we're not at the oil stage yet. Uh, and the other thing yeah, that was shocking right. yeah, so, is, well, this yeah, is spoiler right. alert, but so, like, this was before, the thing that shocked me, which I didn't realize, yeah. this was yeah. all before the automobile and internal combustion. Right, that oh yeah, that comes only in the last chapter. Right, is that this was really about kerosene and lighting. Yeah. And yeah. like the whole because industry was built on a which was which totally blew my mind because I I always associate associate oil with transportation, not illumination, and it never even occurred. What was to used me. before? What was used before uh, for illumination? Was whale oil or yeah. like olive <laughs> yeah, oil, oil or incredibly expensive <laughs> things, um, or maybe <laughs> maybe wax I guess for candles. Yeah, um, which is a little bit yeah. more easy to procure and make locally. But yeah, it was a, it was yeah. a luxury good. Yeah, uh, illumination was uh, yeah. and had devastating you know environmental consequences, whatever. But the um, so anyway, there, so so there's a so so there's another tension here is you see him rising above the emotional damage that he suffered from his father. I see both his success. And his flaws were shaped by that emotional damage. And it was more that he, mm. he, he, uh, and, and, and this may be another tension we will explore through the course of the series is, um, you know, did he have a dark side? Where did it come from? And most importantly, to what extent did that dark side? contribute to his success um, without changing the fact that it was a dark side. Okay, you know, I think my take is different. Yeah. Obviously, my take is different um, mm-hmm. because either he could have imitated his dad and did what his dad did, or he could have gone the exact opposite and avoided everything that his dad did, right? Okay. There's two ways he could have gone, right? Um, or on the Third one, he he did everything on his own. Whether he did everything, uh, not because of what childhood was bad or because childhood was great, but right. So I would, yeah, yeah. So sorry, I would argue the fourth, which is that what he did was uh, consciously or unconsciously 
rejecting mm. certain aspects of his father. Yeah. And consciously or unconsciously embracing other aspects of his father. And, and in fact, I would tend to argue that we all do mm. top four in some yeah. way. Yeah. Right? There are some things about our fathers that we say, and, and, and I guess there's four yeah. quadrants, right? So there's a conscious piece. Okay, there's certain things that my father did, that you did, that I deeply mm. admire. And, yeah. you know, that I consciously try to emulate. Yeah. And there's things I'm saying like, okay, I see why he did that given where he was, but I would yeah. rather not do that. And I consciously choose to yeah. distance myself from, you know, even as simple right. as going yeah. into yeah. science rather than medicine, right? Yeah. Um, right. But then there's also what I would argue deep unconscious things that I mirror mm. and, uh, you know, where, where I reflectively act out. Uh, mm. because of the imprinting, and also things that I unconsciously react against. Uh, that I have this aversion to certain things for reasons I don't understand, mm. and some of them can be traced to things that, uh, you, know, uh, you know, offended me at some level, and I mm. said I never want to do that, I never want to be that. Uh, and so I uh, avoid certain things uh, because I don't want to be identified with that. Like one thing that I was working through <laughs> last year, we talked yeah. about was uh, fundamentalism, mm -hmm. right? How mm -hmm. I, you know, we, we, we were, you know, moral majority, creationists, yeah. and you know, yeah. Republicans, and all these things, right? That, that, mm -hmm. that back when it was a bit more innocent than it is now, but still, yeah. <laughs> it was a yeah. thing. And okay. um, the. Uh, and so I discovered that when I had to talk with someone in our church who, who's in that context, mm. I had this visceral reaction of not wanting to empathize with him. And I realized that was because my sort of narrative of how I became me was, you know, mm. this is where I started. And at some point I decided or realized that this was not who I wanted to be. Mm. And so I sort of rejected that part of my identity. Uh, you know, not so much consciously, I just thought more sort of in the natural evolution time, but I realized that there was this um, emotional rejection mm. that was inside of me, that when I met someone like that, translated into a sort of visceral rejection of them. Okay. Right? I like to think of myself as being very broad-minded and empathic and understanding of people from different backgrounds. But I discovered I had this um, visceral uh dislike and this, this desire to invalidate his perspective like rather than try to understand and sympathize with it and that's what i mean by these unconscious rejections okay uh, so uh, let me uh, yeah. let me ask you this uh, this uh, four parts you mentioned right you know conscious rejection yeah. unconscious unconscious approval unconscious approval i have two questions one yeah is that necessarily bad no second question do you do the same thing with your mother? Uh, and the the answer to the first question is no, and the answer to the second <laughs> okay. question is yes. Right? And so it, it, <laughs> okay. Right? Right. And my point is not that to judge this. Yeah. Right? My point is to it. recognize this. Okay. And to say that all these things are arguably mm a natural and healthy and God-designed part of human development. 
agree. Right. This is this is the way that God created the world. On the other hand, yeah. this is also the reason I would argue mm-hmm. that Christ needed to redeem the world. Mm-hmm. Is that the world that God created was yeah. a world that is corrupted by sin and brokenness, and the um, uh, and this is like a, a big issue. And I got to wrap up in five minutes and get to work, but. Uh, that yeah is this line of thinking that you know the law that upheld and sustains us mm. right he you know like and i think it's very safe to say that rockefeller was a deeply deeply religious man yeah right and it and i think religion did him a world of good and he did a world of good through religion through his religion mm. on the other hand I can't help but see Rockefeller as a tragic figure. Okay. Um, in that I feel like he had this divided heart mm-hmm. that never really got healed. And, you know, this is to me is just, it's just like, and like, you know, when he's busy in his life and in his days, you know, fighting the good fight and fighting these battles, like, okay, I can understand that he doesn't have time for this. And like, you know, trying to make him aware of all this emotional pain could totally derail him. But what's mm. sad is that, you know, after that, like, you know, that there was no place uh, like the book, you know, the, the, which what I would love to do with you someday actually is Will, the Will Smith biography. Mm. He has a very deep and intense relationship with his father, which is really the bookends of the book. Mm. Um, you know, he gets to a place where he has kind of an epiphany and mm. realizes that his drive for success, um, you know, was incredibly powerful and valuable and, you know, billions of people benefited from it, but it also carried a heavy psychic price and that he needs to confront that. Um, and he kind of lives on a cliffhanger and kind of what he does with that. But, like, that's the thing that I, I'm sad that it never felt like Rockefeller had an experience of reconciliation or resolution or redemption. Uh, you know, he, he self-redeemed himself in a lot of ways at the very end, the way he did at the beginning. Like, I'm obsessed about money, but I'm going to chain it to religion so that I'm always mm-hmm. giving it away to make sure it doesn't have too much of a hold on me. Right. And I think that was a good thing. That was a good use of religion. But yeah. it also highlights to me the limits of religion. And there's, a, there's this idea of a healing in Christ, you know, that is beyond mere religion. That is the thing that I am obsessed over. <laughs> okay, so, okay, uh, let me finish with the, the, my two cents in the two minutes. Um, yeah. I think uh, I realized that, like you said, that's your obsession and your uh, worldview or your perspective, which is not mine. And that's the difference, I think, because all the things you mentioned about, uh, you know, your father and what he did, didn't do, what you liked, what he didn't like, all those things, you are looking at a human being who's also a sinful human being. So I think the, the idea of following Christ is leave all these things behind and look at him and rather than look at... Uh, incomplete human being or sinful human being like your parents you go the other way and maybe put more weight on the positive aspect of it and just 
like Paul says, you know, sitting six behind, you look forward and focus on goal. Uh, following the pattern of Christ, I think that's the only way you get healed. I think so. That's a so that is a great way. Of my hmm. Yeah, and what's, what's fascinating <laughs> is that there's an interpretation of your words that yeah. I completely agree with, and another yeah. interpretation that I fundamentally <laughs> disagree with. And but fortunately, we have the person of John Rockefeller, and we can look and see how those play out and figure out what it is we mean. So this is great. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Thank All you, right. Ernie. I have one quick question yes. when we are done. I'll call you back. I have one quick question. Okay. Take seconds. Okay. Okay. Thank God bless you. you. Bye-bye. Love you. Love you. Bye-bye. Love you too.